Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Well, Daddy Ings, he only had 14 touches, but he did occupy defenders. Defenders are, they're on alert whenever Danny Ings is on the pitch. And whenever it's Bertrand Trory that's on the pitch, they're just, they're on their back laughing. <laughs> this is Paul McGrath. You're listening to the Villa Podcast. That morning sky gave me a look. So I left while you were sleeping. That's all it took. And Three mistakes, three lethal finishes. That's the difference. That's the difference between the European champions and Aston Villa. Welcome back from your holidays, Liam. <laughs> what a what a come down I'd say from the from the Italian coast or the Italian islands. Um, I did not know that you actually just waited to watch the game tonight and didn't know the results. That's a, I feel so bad on you know. I was coming into this match, rewatching it, thinking this is fine now. I know everything that's that's gone wrong. I didn't know that you were watching it fresh. Well, you should have fucking asked, and you should have just taken matters into your own hand and said, don't bother me. Here's the fucking result. What a pile of shite. To come back to that as well. Oh, it's a nightmare. And I was actually watching the game in a way annoyed in the first half that I wasn't experiencing it with the rest of you, all the lads watching Villa dominate the European champs. And then 48 minutes in, I was just like, what a waste of fucking time this has been. I feel it's actually so lucky that there was a couple of times maybe I'm just rude to you know at this stage like we've got that relationship I don't need to text back to you but um a couple of times you teed it up for me to say yeah it's a shame or because you you'd written chances 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 and again I just thought you were watching the game knowing it was three nil <laughs> <laughs> but no you were watching the game thinking fuck's sake we we could be in the lead are we going to win this match or not you poor fucker. Yeah, it was dreadful. Just watching the game, watching the whole world disintegrate around me, knowing that everyone else already knew this had happened, just made it worse. I think. I knew you had um you'd gone under though on Tuesday, so you went away on Sunday. I think it was right, and this is when it all started kicking off in Brazil. And I had just sent you the very first tweet of the report of what was happening in the Brazil Argentina game. Obviously, uh, the, the Brazil health officials stormed the pitch with the police and they were trying to detain four players, obviously two of ours. Well, one of them was sitting in the fucking stand. We'll get to that. But um, Emmy Martinez was on the pitch. So I just sent you the first tweets and it just said something like, madness kicking off here in Brazil. Police have stormed the pitch, blah, blah, blah. Um, and this was before then the 15 minutes that followed. Everybody tuned in to watch this game where, where there was no game and it eventually got it got postponed. I was sitting then in the Aviva Stadium in Dublin on Tuesday night, half time of the Ireland game, and I assume you must have come online just to see how Ireland were doing. 
and I got a response to my message on Sunday. Is this real? <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? They've been arrested. This is like three days later. They've been sent back to Croatia. That's a whole other story. And I thought, Jesus, this boy's this this boy's finger is not on the pulse this week. Yeah, and for someone who's so obsessed with football as well. Look, a lot of people talk about how difficult it is to disconnect. <laughs> it's hyper-connected world. It's really not. You just turn your phone off and don't look at it. That's my advice to everybody. <laughs> I'll think about it. Um, let's get into the goals. So 3-0 Chelsea, Aston Villa. Uh, first goal, like, first goal is annoying, right? Because obviously Twanzebe is highlighted here and rightly so like he just falls flat in his face as Lukaku sees him coming (laughs) sees him flying in from about 10 seconds away reels it up he knows Twanzebe knows he's left footed he said that afterwards as well so he just cuts back onto his right as if as if he could never shoot with his right foot a hundred million pound striker um and Twanzebe doesn't even slide he tries to slide and then trips over himself and falls flat in his face good finish from Lukaku but this was annoying because in the initial exchanges further up the pitch, both McGinn and Ramsey got beaten. And now, yeah. if you're going to play five players in midfield, <laughs> I do not want to see two of the centre midfielders getting taken out like that. And Chelsea just wandering through the middle and then having all the time in the world to pick out a nice pass and a nice finish. Yeah, it's so bad from our midfield. Kovacic does have deceptively fast feet, but when he's just nipped past one of you, the element of surprise should be gone. <laughs> Take him out at that stage. Lukaku is on our centre half shoulder. There can't be a free pass onto him. That just can't be allowed to happen. And this, and don't forget, it's a centre half who has momentarily lost all connection of space and time. And like you're on a football pitch, Axel. They're all pretty much the same size. They all have pretty much the same amount of players on them. I mean, Christ Almighty! And sure, then he's fucked. I mean, if as a centre-half, and I've always said this, I've always been consistent with this, if you don't understand the dimensions of the pitch, where your teammates are, where the opposition players are, and where the ball is, then you're in trouble. <laughs> That's a good point. It's a, it's a, it's a good point. Um, and the second goal, like we're talking about Axel Twanzebe freaking out about Lukaku. Tyrone Mings, and we're going to get to him a lot more later, obviously, in the Tyrone Mings What the Fuck Award, which he's definitely starting to rename after himself. But the, the again, the initial exchange, and we've seen this with Jolington, so like he does not discriminate. If it's Lukaku, if it's Jolington, Tyrone Mings will act the same. If a player is looking to take a throw-in 30 metres away from their own goals, Tyrone Mings is going to go right up, not up the rush, he's going to go stand in front of him. So now your big commanding centre half, your captain, is standing in their half, desperate to stop Lukaku getting the ball out the wing. Just let him have it. Like that. I would rather Lukaku chest that ball down and find a midfielder and Villa be set up properly at the back instead of like does, does he not think like Villa like he is the target for Villa's long throws? Does he not think that somebody could throw it over his head to the man mountain that is Lukaku and all the space that he has just left them behind? Anyway, that's just the very start of it. And then obviously, obviously the second, it's a bad touch and then it's a bad pass. And it's, a, it's a, again, a nice finish to punish us. Ah, it's fucking dreadful. I mean, to let the ball go under your foot is one thing, but we all know why he's reacted with that shit pass is because he's trying to scramble back and make it look like the problem has been solved. And he's just, he's panicked and he's not got his head clear. He's not put his foot through the ball. He's not understood the danger. He's not completed it. He's put 10 yards of pace on a 20-yard pass. And what the fuck is he playing at? That's not how you make up for an error. How has he not controlled the ball in the first place? It's disgraceful. Yeah. It's Tuan Zeba who's got all the pressure there. He's out there dealing with Lukaku and he's solved the issue. Yeah. And now all you have to do is mop up for him. What the fuck are you doing? It's only Tuan Zeba's head that should be scrambled. Throw Mings is in loads of space, loads of time, until he doesn't control the fucking football that's being trickled towards him. It, it's, a, it's a series of little errors there, like the, the initial decision to go into the Chelsea half to try and win the throw-in, and then that touch, which was a Glenn, Glenn Whedon v West Brom touch. And, <laughs> and then when he has that touch, like, fair enough, just make the fucking pass, like that, that's your problem solved. Or just get rid of the ball now once you've presented the ball to Kovacic flying through. We already know from the first goal that he's got the set of the fast feet. 
So now, <laughs> so now react properly. Like get rid of the ball now. Like he, he balls it up instead. He he tries to hack it back to the keeper to poor Jed Steer, who Jed Steer had a good game. Well, he didn't have anything to do apart from pick the ball out of his net three times. <laughs> <laughs> He didn't have a good game. I think everybody just wanted him to have a good game. Ah, yeah, it's safe enough hands. We like we know Jed Steer's fine. I mean, so long as we don't have to do this that many times during the season, there's no issue with Jed Steer. And like, yeah, he was ah, uh, he was done up like a kipper a few times by by his own players. And third goal, like this was so annoying because you've already touched on it. It was it was a good performance for the most part from Aston Villa. Um. You know, some of the some of the commentary was a bit patronizing. Like, I don't know what they're expecting. Um, it was good to see somebody like Saul like just get a welcome. Like sometimes I I think it's completely overblown when people talk about the Premier League and the pace and trying to adapt to it. It's like fuck off. You know, it's playing football, but this was a case of somebody who just wasn't prepared for John McGinn and Jacob Ramsey just flying all over him. And they were allowed to do that because Villa had five midfielders as well, but. They played well. They they controlled the ball well. Having Watkins back is such a such a bonus, like for Aston Villa, and and I think I, I think given how well they played and the chances they created, going away from there, having lost two 0 one massive mistake, I think you would have a lot of confidence. Like we've gone down to Chelsea, we fucked ourselves over, our captain fucked us over, and we've played well. But then the third goal just makes it look like it's business as usual. Chelsea have just swatted you aside and. And the third goal comes because Aspilicueta nutmegs the fuck, the fucking right. He's more or less a centre back nowadays. He nutmegs Tyrone Mings, and then again, unbelievable finish from from the big man. Yeah, it like flew under the radar a little bit. I thought the, from the commentators anyway, Tyrone's Mings get nutmegged by a, and rinsed by a thirty-two year old that's been converted into a centre half <laughs> because he's lost his pace. It's insane stuff. Commentators don't even bat an eyelid at it. And after that, it's just it's brilliant from the Kaku to, to generate that much power from that body and ball position. It's it's an incredible finish. But you're right, the Villa were brilliant. The, the, the system was brilliant. It worked. And we strangled Chelsea. We took advantage of their bizarre decision to start with Saul and Kovacic. We set traps in the midfield and the forward line, and they worked. And that was the platform we had because it was always going to be difficult to have a platform from possession and we were tight and disciplined whenever Chelsea inevitably had the ball and we blocked off the passing lanes to Lukaku mostly yeah. I mean like we, we battered Chelsea for 48 minutes Lukaku got the ball once in the first half and scored and he got it once in the second half and scored a screamer it was so so fucking frustrating to lose that game to those errors was it a toe poke from Lukaku? I just absolutely well is it in the top corner what happened to the the school ground rule? No toe pokes. <laughs> <laughs> what was that about? I remember I used to argue people. You can hit it harder if you don't toe poke. Like, but it was such a strange rule, wasn't it? People were afraid of the ball coming, and they would do anything, anything they could to make sure it couldn't be hit hard. Before we get on to WhatsApp winges, uh one other note of positivity. I am all for Leon Bailey not making people on his own byline. Like that's that's what I want to see. That's the villa that I've come to enjoy this season. Yes, especially if it's Marcus Alonso, who's an absolute dickhead. And <laughs> the the best thing about that was how quickly he moved his foot over the ball so that he could then do the nutmeg. So he, he's running backwards, drags his left foot over the ball so it's in position to roll it forward again. It's absolutely incredible, quick feet from him. And he came on, he, he he was brilliant for the first two minutes and then absolutely dreadful for the next 30 <laughs> minutes. I thought people got excited about him because he had two nice touches whenever he first came on. And then the game is over when he's on for the rest of the match. But, like, yeah, he, was, he wasn't good. I think I'm in the excitement camp, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, maybe I've got, got such a low bar to meet, but, like, the nutmeg, it wasn't just a nutmeg and then stopping and pointing at Alonso and laughing at him. He actually got the ball at the other side of him and he was away, but the, the dickhead pulled him back. But then also, down in the corner, it just, fuck, it just looks so sharp and, and nippy. Like, just, no, he should have crossed the ball three times, but three times he avoided a tackle and I was like, whoa, look at this, look at this boy go. Like he three like this isn't a good thing really, but three times he put himself in the position to cross. 
because of his <laughs> because of his skill and pace and now three times he refused to cross decision making is the most important thing Conor at this level of football you know that but whenever whenever he came on and whenever Bertie T came on as well there's a little bit of excitement there because you know that we now have these options these absolute wild cards that can literally do anything when they get on the pitch and that will benefit us later in the season well, let's get this party started. You're back from holidays. WhatsApp winges, here we come. <laughs> WhatsApp winges, first one. Have we actually spent over 60 million of the Grealish money to buy two players who don't fit into our best system? <laughs> where, where the fuck did Bailey and Buendia fit now? What, like, you know, talk about spending our money wisely? Like, we've bought two good options off the bench, I suppose. Well, like, let's not get too fucking excited here. I mean, we're really happy with the system, and on paper, it looks like a good team, but we also were 2 0 down and then had to change the system. I mean, like, yeah, it definitely looked good. But this is what we're talking about. We've talked about this before whenever people were wondering whether or not we should sign Tammy Abraham. Of course we should. Our system last year was Grealish and Watkins on the pitch at the same time, hopefully. That was all we had. <laughs> and, and, Martin we, is. And, <laughs> and now we have different options. I mean, I touched it in there just at the end of the last section. We got brought on those two absolute nutcases who can do anything with their legs and no one else can understand what's happening. It's, it's, it's potentially exciting that those players were on the bench, the players that weren't on the pitch tonight, like... Trory, like Sanson, like Bay, Bundia wasn't there either. You know, that, that fills out, that fleshes out the squad, and they're all good footballers. And Aston Villa have a good team now. And don't forget, once we start implementing our strategy of getting El Ghazi under 23 game time during the week, <laughs> we basically have to make room for him in the system. And this brings me on nicely to my next WhatsApp point, because I have room for him in this system. Why did Ings leave Southampton? <laughs> he believes in the fucking project. Yeah, that's fair enough. Aston Villa are gonna be Aston Villa are gonna be a good team. They're gonna be pushing, they're gonna be challenging. And Danny Ings will be very important to that. Danny Ings was not in the game at all today, which was very surprising because he has what I would imagine is one of the best players to play alongside if you're a centre forward. Yeah. Fourteen touches he got today. That's that, that's dreadful. I mean, Ollie Watkins probably touched the ball fourteen times with his head. <laughs> like Danny Ings has to be has to understand that Watkins is going to win the ball, and he has to be reacting, moving for that. Yeah, I think they need they both like you know I love Watkins. Um, one stage now it's, it's it's one of those ones that we've argued about before. We haven't argued, we've agreed. Um, you know when somebody plays the ball and it's a good ball, but nobody's there. But Ings just did that. One of his 14 touches, he had the ball on the right-hand side of the box and just drills it across. But now, it is is obvious that Watkins should be getting there and it is obvious that Ings has to play it at that moment. And Watkins just doesn't make the run. He's too late coming. Now, obviously, Ings also balls up a pass to Watkins earlier on. So they they need to to play together a bit more as well. That's the first game, in fairness. They played up front together and played a full game together. I wonder about this. They need to play together a lot more. Some players just click and they click immediately. And I'm sure they will get better. But I wasn't particularly excited by it today. I mean, I, I think it should have worked a lot better. I mean, you talk about that pass as well. That's just dreadful from Danny Ings. I mean, yeah. complete that pass. Here it is. The big link up we've all been waiting for. <laughs> Our two best attackers. One Chelsea defender. Punish it. That has to be a pass into his feet or into his run. Yeah. It was so simple and he fucked it up. But at least he saw the pass. That's that's if you're talking about whether or not they're going to have a connection that Ings was willing to play that pass to Watkins. Watkins, on the other hand, wasn't quite as eager to play the ball to Ings in a few occasions. No. But good players normally can just start playing together. That's my experience anyway. So I was a little bit, hmm. Maybe Danny Ings just didn't get in the game. Chelsea... Chelsea's three defenders were very good today as well. Don't forget about that. Did you did you see two good players play together? Did you? <laughs> <laughs> when you say your experience, <laughs> I wasn't talking about you, Conan. Don't worry. Um, the re- like this is supposed this is a real um, quintessential WhatsApp wins because it really does show the spiral of my emotions in real time. Like 
I'm, I, I'm getting panicky about this signing who I was really excited about only a couple of weeks ago. And I'm thinking, like, where, where does he fit? What's the point? I'm, I'm actually starting to wonder about Villa. Like, you know, he's he's come here. Like, what difference is it? Like, he might as well stay at Southampton, his boyhood club. Yeah, I was starting to wonder. Like, he's probably thinking, why have, why have I come to this shithole? This is shit. And I'm only getting 14 touches a game. I was the main man at my boyhood club who, by the way, aren't much worse than these clowns. Why that point again? Like, let's clarify that. <laughs> but like, it's it's not going to turn out like that for Danny Ings, don't worry. Danny Ings is a very, very good footballer. And don't you be worrying about whether or not Danny Ings is having a good time. Like, Danny Ings will either be good enough for Villa or he will not be good enough for Villa. It's up to him. Yeah. It's in Danny Ings's hand to force yeah. Dean Smith to make sure that he fits into the system. It doesn't matter. Danny Ings gives us options as well. You know all this, Conan. Stop panicking. <laughs> I I really should have learned from the Ross Barkley gate because, <laughs> like, we had this all last year where I was like, he's not enjoying himself. He's not smiling. His his Twitter profile doesn't say Villa. And like, you know, fast forward a few months, like, get like, who gives a fuck about Ross Barkley? Well, that's yeah. where we were. Third WhatsApp one: ban Douglas Louise from shooting. Yeah, remember, like we gave him the Canva a hard time. Like, what's the point of him being in the final third? Like, what's the point of Douglas Louise being at the edge of the box, taking up space for somebody else? Yeah, it's a waste of time. Like, when we were complaining about it as well, like Douglas Louise needs to start shooting. This is only two games ago. Christ Almighty, he was dreadful. There was one as well where he just turned it down because the ball was kind of slightly under his left foot and he didn't want to drill it. And he tries to take an awkward touch with the inside of his right foot to get it onto his right foot. Yeah. It just wasn't working. Just have it with your left foot, Dougie. There's no point in waiting for that ball to come onto your right foot because we know that's fucking shite as well. <laughs> it, it, it just it doesn't um, doesn't inspire any belief anymore. I don't, I don't think he believes he's going to shoot, but he's shooting because he knows he's in the best position and he should shoot. But like you know, he, he blazed one over the bar and he blazed one miles wide and you know just 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 not the sign of somebody who actually really believed he was going to pick out that top corner like he did two times two seasons ago. No, it wasn't there. It wasn't there. But you know what was there, Conor? Our post lockdown Dougie was back. He was absolutely brilliant, apart from his absolutely dreadful shooting. You like him? Ah, he was class. I thought he was. I thought he was our best player whenever he was on the pitch. Obviously, he was. Everything about his game was was solid. And also progressive. He was burst into so many tackles and he won most of them apart from that dreadful moment that <laughs> summed up the game when Kovacic it's just the past. Yeah. And on the ball, he was brilliant again. He was picking out passes. He was going forward. He was looking for the right man. He wasn't just playing square. I thought he was back to his best. I'll tell you what I liked about him, Ramsey and McGinn, is that they all just took that extra touch and not in a bad way. I know we, we give out about McGinn sometimes getting caught in the ball or getting caught with his arse out. But they, they all just dropped that little shoulder across the body. They would just give themselves an extra bit of space. It, it had a bit of confidence, but it gave you a lot more control. We've been crying out for midfielders to grab control of the ball, like literally, and then control the game a bit more. And, and they all did that. Like they all, like maybe because they were all closer together and they had more options to play around and they were... They weren't spread as much defensively, but they all look like the good play. Like this is probably where the frustration has come from as well with Dougie and with McGinn is that you see them being so good so often. That's maybe not often enough, um. But you know it's there. And then I thought on Saturday, like it showed that they all had that little bit of class on the ball. It's almost like we we knew that this was the best system we could play to get the best out of our three best midfielders. <laughs> We absolutely have to play the three of these guys together. Ramsey was brilliant for the 55 minutes he was on the game. I mean, his driving with the ball, his passing, his defensive work, and his defensive nous even. I mean, everything you want from a number eight, he was great. There was nothing not to like about his performance other than the brevity of it. Last WhatsApp wins. Stuart Atwell really needs to stop wanking over himself now. Yeah, your fucking hero, Stuart Atwell, had an absolute howler. <laughs> I know, so. like, I'm like, I know referees don't have a lot of fans, but like, you know, I've definitely been his biggest fan. Um, mostly because he's consistent. <laughs> like, you know, he doesn't give fouls, and it's it's annoying sometimes, but he's usually consistent across the board, and it sets the terms of engagement. I've said these words before about him, but 
I, he was he had a fucking nightmare, and I, maybe maybe it's because the crowds are back now as well. Maybe he's just this classic referee that that's getting caught out by the crowd and getting swayed by the crowd. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. I thought he was fairly consistent. He was consistently not giving fouls against Chelsea players and giving them for Villa players. And like the Ramsey booking, fair enough, it was the most obvious booking you'll ever see in your life. But it's better early in the game for that con, isn't it? <laughs> the, the, the Mings booking is a is a shambles. I mean, he's he's sliding across the ground with his feet on the ground, and Hudson Odoi steps across him. It's never a fucking booking. Yeah. Konza conceded a free because Havertz sprinted into him with his arms out. <laughs> Bertrand Trory conceded a free kick because Chabala threw himself across the pitch, wrapped his legs around Trory and sat in the ball. Yeah, that was ridiculous. That was crazy, that one. And then McGinn gets a yellow card then, not long after that, for, for winning the ball with both feet. Like, he wins the ball with his right foot and then his left foot. And <laughs> then he gets a yellow card, but that probably stemmed from McGinn being apoplectic about that Bertie T decision. Of course it did. And Chabala not getting booked for his lunge and McGinn as well. Silva not booked for his, the same foul as Ramsey. Sal not booked for the worst tackle of the first half. It was it was absolutely inexplicably bad from Stuart Atwell. You're here. <laughs> um, we'll leave that there. We're going to hand out some awards after this. Good evening. I wanted to speak directly to our supporters to confirm the transfer of our captain, Jack Greedlish. And now we've been gutted, organ donors for the rich, Boston's taken our kidneys, Yankees have taken our heart. And to explain the background to this move. It's an unfair game. We offered Jack a new contract to stay at the club. Like this is business as usual, it's not. We agreed to incorporate a so-called release clause into his contract. Billy, that's trouble. Billy, if I may, uh, he certainly has had his problems off the field. Jack finally decided that he would like to go to City. We're trying to solve a problem here, Billy. Not like this, you're not. You're not even looking at the problem. We have planned accordingly. We've got to think different. It was never our intention to replace Jack with one footballer. Guys, who's still trying to replace Gianni? I told you we can't do it. We can't do it. Our strategy was to analyze and break down Jack's key attributes. Now, what we might be able to do is recreate him. We create him in the aggregate. What? A walk. His creativity, his assists, his goals. That's what we're looking for. And to find these qualities and others, in three forward players. Three ball players, three ball players. And in doing so, have also reduced an over-dependency on one brilliant footballer. Add that up and you get... Emiliano Buendia, Leon Bailey and Danny Ings. They truly are the future. If we try to play like the Yankees in here, we will lose to the Yankees out there. I don't know what that means. All right, award categories. We'll start with the Ronnie Rosenthal Award. That Ings ball to Ollie Watkins that we talked about. Oh, terrible pass. It's on. You can see it. He just overhits it for no reason. Um, actually, I'm going to go through three here. It all happened in the first 23 minutes. It really shows how painful it was that Villa didn't hurt Chelsea. Uh, Mendy save from Watkins. Initially, like Watkins cuts back and then has a nice shot to the near post. It's a good save. Um, and then Watkins again. It's a bad touch. McGinn steals it off Saul. And then Watkins touches a little bit heavy. He does so well then to, to jank around Mendy. So he leaves Mendy on the ground, gets himself a space, and he just hits it into the ground then. Like it was like a, a Danny or a, a Tyrone Mings pass back the way he connected with him. <laughs> yeah, the, the Watkins shot. I mean, he's he's so good at getting the shot away quicker than you expect. And he, he does it again, and it's arrowing into the bottom corner. and. I actually think both of those factors make it a brilliant save for Mendy because I wasn't yeah. expecting Watkins to get that shot away, but he does it so often. I really should be at this stage. The one that he hits off Silva, I mean, if you're going to rush the shot after taking two touches, then don't bother with the two touches. <laughs> Just have the shot anyway. Like, what is the point of calming everything down only to then panic? Yeah. Waste of fucking time. Ezra Kanza, come on down. Featuring too much in this 
award category and Ezra Kanza is probably my best my favorite player at the minute um two ones really he's header from seven yards out late on and then his strike like it's a long throw again it works Mings gets his big head on it Mings has a class volley with his right foot and again he does it later on you know that's not a, a Rosenthal award nomination but he has two nice shots of his his right foot on a drop kick more than a volley and then but it comes out to Kanza who just completely mishits the ball like he he strikes across it and he slices the ball just sort of tamely into the keeper. And he had that header as well from seven yards out. Kanza, 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 come on. Take the next step, man. <laughs> yeah, like he's isolated against Aspilicueta as well. It's exactly what we would have wanted for that header. It's bad. It's, it's pointless. The the Mings and Kanza one, I mean, they're both camera saves really in the Alan Smith was creaming himself over it in the co-commentary box. <laughs> Mings catches it well, but it's pretty central. Yeah. Kanza completely scuffs it. And whatever power there was in it, it certainly did not warrant Mendy running over and punching it clear. Like he, <laughs> should, he should have caught both of them, but he absolutely should have caught the Kanza one. <laughs> yeah, he's watching too much Jordan Pickford. Jordan. <laughs> Um, like and in, in fairness as well, like I don't know what I'm expecting. I suppose when you're playing a a more elite team, you expect them to take their eye off the ball. I don't, I don't know if that's what I expect, but you just think they won't care as much, or you hope they won't. And I think it was the Ming's second one where he had that volley, and just two fell. I think it was Jorginho or Thiago Silva just came flying across both of them, just sort of intersecting on the line to block it. And it was like fucking relax would you he's like why do you care so much and and i was just thinking in fairness to chelsea they're mad for it like they really are mad to defend and shut teams out and you can see why they're they're so tight defensively well that's why it was so bloody frustrating that we didn't score tonight because we had a game plan and it bloody worked brilliantly (laughs) and we just missed we did miss a lot of chances and we had absolute howlers at the other sorry we had howlers in front of both goals yeah, like we should have scored some of our chances, and we certainly should have shouldn't have conceded any of the goals we conceded. Not like that, honestly, that's that's the difference. Like we we gave them opportunities, and they were clinical as well with with their you know chances that we we would have missed, and like we would have missed the two Lukaku ones t- today, and we created some really good openings, and we we just fluffed them, which they would have scored. Like that really was the difference at the end of the day, and. And that is really frustrating from a manager's point of view. Now, a good manager is not going to... I've, I've seen managers before, see it, like at local level, where even when there's only 50 people down watching a the game, they want everybody to know, this is out of my control. I've, I've fucking done everything I could. Do you know, like, you know, somebody misses a chance. It's like, oh my God, what more can I do to help these useless bastards? That sort of, <laughs> you know, that sort of vibe. You don't want your manager doing that. But at the same time, we have to recognize that our manager set us up well in this game. And we created enough chances to win the match. Never mind lose three nil. Yeah, it's a to to have your best performance of the season <laughs> to come away with a three nil defeat is it's sickening, especially whenever you're watching the game a day and a half late. Yeah, <laughs> I oh, like there's so many. I was I was I went through three very quickly there. I was going to give it to Watkins initially for that one where he took it around the keeper. And then I thought, no, fuck Danny Ings. Like that, that should be like that's a straightforward pass through. And then I realized that Kanza's just completely mishit the ball from whatever amount of yards out. Like he keeps missing from seven yards. So Kanza has to win this and he has to learn. He Give it to the Go on. Give it to all of them. Give yeah. it to you. They're all useless bastards. They can all take one of the awards. Uh you like them, we didn't take a 90th minute penalty award. You already touched on it. Jacob Ramsey off after 55 minutes. What's what's the thinking there? He was playing really well. I, I wanted to see more of him and I thought Villa needed more of him. I, I, I thought it was surprising to take him off as well. I mean, he's, he hasn't played him in a two before. Maybe that was part of Dean Smith's thinking. He didn't know if he could do it. But I know he can't. John McGinn can't do that either. So I thought it was very surprising that he bothered taking him off. Changed the system. Chelsea had control of the game at that stage. I mean, they got... They got their two goals. We don't have to talk about that again. <laughs> and the, the game had just completely changed and Smith had to try something and he tried that. It was the obvious change. It was the easy change for him to make, I think. Yeah, perhaps. I suppose I was wondering, why, why are we changing the system? We're doing well. But like, yes, Chelsea had retreated. I think at one stage then they brought off 
Havertz for Aspilicueta. Do you know what he just they just sat deeper? We probably needed an extra attacking presence out there. And to be honest, I'm just going to shit on my reasoning here anyway with the next nomination. Why doesn't he just give us the treat that we all deserve and play Bertie T and Bailey? <laughs> and that's it. He absolutely had to get the two of them on. The game had had become just Villa not creating chances. He needed the wild cards on the pitch and he got them on. Didn't work. <laughs> Villa became much worse afterwards. It was... Yeah, so I have a plan for it. Like it's funny that you already brought it up. Like you're about having them on and two wild cards that nobody knows what they're going to do, and that's the excitement of it. So I don't want them playing in games that we should be winning, but play them away to Chelsea. Like you know, we're, we're going to fucking lose anyway. So just play the two boys. Like Christ knows what'll happen, and it'll be such good crack. Like we'll be a really entertaining team. I don't enjoy my wingers going to the back and not crossing the ball, Connor. It's not not entertaining about that. It's not entertaining of being shit at the sport. It's all right being good with a ball at your feet, but you have to understand that the end game is to score a bloody goal. I just think like they they set each other off as well. So Bertrand Sorori came on after Bailey, and I was like, "Well, you like that? Wait till you get a load of this." And then that one, like he should have won his free. That one we're talking about, but. He, he, he ran back and forward on the same line five times. You know, it was just like a trick over here, ran back the other way, a trick over there, ran back the other way. And he just, he was like, once again, the the, the old, I don't want to say failings, but I will, of Bertrand Shirori come out where he's not going towards the goal. He's just having some fun out there. And you know what? 2-0 down, I'm enjoying it. <laughs> I felt like there was something in the game for us it wasn't that enjoyable for me don't forget I didn't know the result of the game because you didn't bother texting yeah maybe that's why I was enjoying it like yeah I knew we had, like yeah there was no there was there was no jeopardy for me I knew we had lost the match the, the first thing Bertrand Troy tried to do was to play a volley back over Aspilicueta's head for absolutely no reason as well it was just because he had seen Bailion doing a bit of showboating and he just decided he has to do it as well Try to play a blind, a no-look volley over the top of Aspel Greta's head and the ball just got intercepted. Not case. Third nomination for the Udek Lem Whedon take a 90th minute penalty award. That second one, by the way, is not playing Bertie T and Bailey, just in case it wasn't clear. And I know there's a load of contradictions here, um, especially in this podcast, but that's Aston Villa, especially having lost three, drawn one and won one in four games. Watkins doesn't need a strike partner. <laughs> that, that is an issue like you know again like uh, you're absolutely right and we have said it too many times but the options are great and they could play well together but he doesn't need it like he, he takes up the whole entire final third on his own it's like there, there's nothing that anybody else can offer him up there like he will go to either wing that you want him to go to in, in a split second and he'll win the ball better than the other dope could I feel like if you play somebody beside him, you've cut off half of his options to go win the ball. And I want him winning the ball all the time. Yeah, and it is interesting because Ollie Watkins is the only player I've ever seen being able to dominate three centre-halves in the one game. He kind of have that capacity and capability. But you're saying Watkins doesn't need a strike partner. But don't forget that Villa were brilliant. Right? So maybe, that, maybe the system did just work, having somebody up there with him. I mean, yeah. what's the other option? Just to have Bertie T floating around doing nothing. And... <laughs> I was thinking about Bertie T playing up front. I'm not going to like. Well, like, Daddy Ings, he only had 14 touches, but he did occupy defenders. The defenders are they're on alert whenever Danny Ings is on the pitch. And whenever it's Bertrand Trory that's on the pitch, they're just they're on their back laughing. <laughs> Uh, um, maybe the Jacob Ramsey one wins this. It's harsh enough as well, like if you want to change the system. Oh, yeah, maybe it was, maybe it was just void this category this week. <laughs> <laughs> the Peter Enkelman what the fuck award? Um, yeah, Jacob Ramsey thinking he's not going to get booked <laughs> for that for that tackle or for that challenge, whatever it was. Yeah, it was. It was. I can't believe he looked shocked. I mean, it was. It, this this is in the the football and dictionary. It's a picture of Jacob Ramsey falling back. Kovacic. That's just that is a yellow card. That's what that is. 
And then obviously we've got Tyrone Mings by two. All right, so we've got a we, we we talked about them enough at the top of the show, like what exactly happened. But I've got a tweet from our captain tonight. Timing of the second goal was a real killer, so I apologize to my teammates and the fans for a crap pass. I actually think we played very well yesterday, which makes it even more painful. Couple of things. Does he not think he took a bad touch as well? <laughs> And does he not think that getting nutmegged by Asper Laqueta on the wing is worse than all those stuff? He conveniently left out that he also probably causes the second goal or the third goal. Look, Tyrone Mings is is the player I hate to love, and that's not a slip of the tongue. I mean, I absolutely love him. He's strong, he's sound, he's good crack, and he was integral to us getting promoted. And when we signed him, I was over the moon. I couldn't believe. Some of the established teams didn't pick him up after he helped us get promoted. But now I'm wondering if maybe Eddie Howe was right. Maybe Steve Cook is better than him. Like, yeah, everybody makes mistakes, but it's far too often with Tyrone. And it's more often with Tyrone than it is with anyone else. And how do I know that? Because I've said this before loads of times. I'm desperately trying to think of new and interesting ways to say it so that this podcast doesn't end up with the gentle hum of you snoring in the background. I mean, he's had two absolute howlers already. He's only played three games. He's actually made two for the goal when he misses the ball in the first place to force him into rushing in the pass. Like, how can he make those two absolute massive mistakes? And being a centre-half is shit because I know Tyrone Mings is doing things that loads of other centre-halves aren't doing and can't do that he won't get credit for. But he's doing too many things that he'll get rightly slammed for as well because they're so glaring. And we've said this before. I want Tyrone Mings and every other Aston Villa player to be good. They have my unending support when they're on the pitch. But I also want every other Aston Villa fan to be grown up enough to talk about whether or not they actually are good. Because my loyalty for the players in a weird circular sort of a way ends with them fucking over the club that I'm actually loyal to. I mean, if the players aren't good enough, then we need to consider that. Like, Samigo's not there anymore. Ross McCormack is gone. And when we're having the conversation, let's drop the self-deprecation. Little Aston Villa, who do we think we are? He's an England international. And I'm not saying let's call for heads when we don't win the league this year. I'm saying let's ask if two monumental howlers in three games from our captain after a litany of errors last year is okay. And Tyrone Mings is so good when he's good. Yeah. But is that good enough? Like, let's, let's not beat around the bush. He's a millionaire. He's playing at the pinnacle of the sport. He's an incredibly privileged position. He's playing for one of the biggest clubs in the country in the biggest league in the world. It's pressurized. It's tough. And I'm sure it's mentally battering, and that's shit. But he also doesn't have to do it. In every other job, the higher up the chain you go, the higher the pressure and accountability. He can always go back to being Steve Cook's understudy if he wants. We're all shouting on about how great it is to have fans back, the passion they bring. Do we actually believe that or not? Passion isn't asymmetrical. It can't just be elation and unbounded support and love. If you want that, you're bloody going to get depression to counterbalance it as well. And you're going to get anger too. And that was just not good enough from Tyrone Mings again. Where does that come from? You've mentioned the the fans there. and It, it does seem to be protected species is the wrong word. But it's, it's, it's one player anyway, definitely, that, that will get people's backs up if you point out a mistake. You know, like I think everybody will sort of feast on El Ghazi. For example, um, probably Gazi wasn't playing tonight, but like you know, like it, people won't mind rounding on him. But when it comes to Tyrone Mings, it it just seems to be a trigger for a lot of people. Like you can't say like Tyrone Mings is a fantastic person. Like you know, everybody knows this. Like he's 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 a class person. Like off the pitch, and you know we've loved him at Villa for like the leadership that he was bringing and the positivity that he was bringing on the pitch and in the training ground, but. Yeah, uh, it's sort of like what we're saying about McGinn and Louise and stuff. Like the frustration with Mings is that he he can be he can be absolutely brilliant, but we always said this far too often as well. It's, it's, it's we're we're repeating ourselves. 
if you get away with a Tyrone Mings mistake, then he, he's a he's a class defender. Like, and that's a mistake every game. But he he seems to be making it every game. And like sometimes you get away with it, and then sometimes tonight you don't get away with it and it's actually come at the worst time and then he makes another one that you know people seem to don't realize that he, that he has made like if that if that was the goal if that was the 90 whatever it was 93rd minute it's nil nil and Tyrone Mings has run out and got nutmeg by Aspel the Quetta and Lukaku scored that screamer like that's what we're focusing on that's the mistake but because he's made an even bigger mistake the the other mistake is just brushed under the carpet and that's like that's another worry that it's like yeah, it's, it's it's like well, we can we can forget about that one because he's done he's done a worse one. Like that's not how it works. And yeah, if if he if he could cut the mistakes out, then he would be amazing. But he, he doesn't cut them out. Like that's 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 the problem, really. That that is the absolute problem. That's the nub of the issue with Tyrone Mings. It's and like obviously Tyrone's Tyrone Mings is good enough for Aston Villa at the minute. But I'm talking about whether or not he's good enough to be playing for Aston Villa with the ambitions that we've set for ourselves as a club. And I think a part of the reason why it's so polarizing is because people know how good Tyrone Mings is, because they also just sorry because they know how good a person he is, and they also just don't like the fact that every time he does make a mistake, it does get called out. It gets called out by by pundits as well. And it feeds into the whole narrative around why Gareth Southgate doesn't like him. I mean, Gareth Southgate fucking loves Harry Maguire. Now, here's a player who absolutely cocked up again yesterday. But that gets brushed under the Ronaldo carpet. Because Ronaldo made his second debut for United and scored two goals. Harry Maguire had an absolute nightmare again yesterday. And against Southampton the first game Man United had this season, James Ward-Prowse's eyes lit up when he saw a square ball being played to Maguire, who had the back of his square head to the pitch. (laughs) Maguire took a heavy touch, as he's so fond of, and James Ward-Prowse took the ball. One pass later, and Adams is missing a sitter from the penalty spot. There was one in the first half that didn't lead to a shot, even though it was in his box. The touch is so heavy that if it happened in a game I was playing in, I'd be embarrassed to be associated with the match. I'd be looking around to make sure nobody was walking past and saw it. There's nobody's watching the games I'm playing. Like on, on both occasions, the commentator, and this is the difference, on both occasions, the commentator said something like, Man United, get away with one. No mention of Maguire. Yeah. The camera was glued to Mings after his mistakes today. Tyrone, fucking Harry Maguire, rugby tackle, Che Adams, who skinned him, turned Maguire inside out by nudging the ball forward. Like you could go to the Wolves game as well, um, where Varane pulls him out with an unbelievable tackle. Like Varane's going to have to get used to that. Like Maguire just gets the ball, knocks through his legs whilst he's at the edge of the box, and by the time he can turn his big fucking lower base around, Varane has sprinted across from right centre back to slide in at the right post as you're facing it and block a shot. But that would have been a near goal. Like it is frightening. How many times Harry Maguire gets the ball, knock through him or around him every game to create a chance? And, yeah. and again, because he's playing with United, because De Gea makes a save, because Ronaldo scores three, like you say, it's 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 brushed away. And I I've heard this recently, like you know, a conversation about Maguire being world class. Like I, <laughs> people need to believe, like United fans need to believe that he is because he's a a Manchester United captain, and that that stems from. Gary Neville, like at the at the start of this whole thing, as soon as he got the armband, Neville started pushing this idea that Maguire was elite when there were question marks over him non-stop when he when he joined United. And nothing changed except he got the armband and then the top pundit in the country started behaving like he was automatically now worthy of the Manchester United captain's armband. Like that that's the only thing that changed. Like he's still getting the ball, knocked through him every game. It's a brilliant header of the ball, very strong. A good like we we said this again as well. A good fine defender, but he's not he's not at that level. Like Varane is going to have to pull him out of a hole, and Ronaldo will too. Yeah, like at this stage, people are going to accuse me of having an agenda against Maguire, and they're right. I do. Here it is. Here's the manifesto. Maguire is a donkey. Let's all stop pretending he's not. And <laughs> and you've mentioned it a few times there. United fans, including prominent fans, whose opinion you have to pay to get, are saying. Varane can cover for his lack of pace. So they don't even believe Maguire 
is top class. <laughs> Cover for his absence of a fundamental trait of being a top class defender. He compliments him. The talents that Harry Maguire has are inherent to being a defender. They all have them. It's just that the top class ones don't have the turning angle of a fucking ocean liner. <laughs> like, imagine saying that in another profession. Raphael and Harry really complement each other. Raphael is really diligent and Harry is a lazy bastard. Like, that, that's not complimentary. That's one person being good at their job and the other being shite. And this is this is the reason to get back to the point that people don't like it whenever Tyrone Mings gets slaughtered. It's because Tyrone Mings gets slaughtered and other people get away with it. And that's the final point on the Tyrone Mings thing is that Ezra Conza doesn't get slaughtered, but he's not getting away with it. He's just not making the mistakes. Like, you know, nobody's nobody's got any fodder for for Ezra Conza because he's not making the mistakes. He's just there playing well. No, he's missing fucking sitters, so we are probably slaughtering him now a bit more often. But yeah, just just call out the mistakes and you'll be good. But I worry that it's it's gone on too long now at this stage. The Vyman meter going up, Ollie Watkins, just great to see him back, great to see him leading the line. Like it's 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 amazing how often Villa have touches in the opposition box because Ollie Watkins is there. He just he just seemed to find it so easy drifting into space and, and taking a touch of the ball and he gets turned very quickly, worries defenders, and he doesn't seem to be too phased by him himself. Yeah, even though he missed a big chance that I thought he should have scored, ah, it, it just it just looks right up front. Yeah, like he, he missed that that chance is is nearly unforgivable from a player of Ollie Watkins' quality to to take the two touches to buy himself the time and then to just waste that time by completely missing the ball. But he was brilliant. He was so dangerous. He had so many shots. He just looked at. He looked an absolute menace. That that's what Ollie Watkins is. Yeah. Going up, I'd love to put Jacob Ramsey up if he had been on a bit longer. Still going up because he's becoming he has a nice bit of an attitude about him now as well this season, which is good to see. He's stepping up that level that we wanted him to do. Um John McGinn. Yeah, the, the midfield was brilliant. The three of them complement each other so well. It's such a such a lovely bit of balance in there to get the best out of each other. They're both. They're all three of them are good at covering, knowing that they can't all go at the same time. They've all got a bit of, a bit of nice. It really suits Dougie's game to have two players with the energy of McGinn and Ramsey either side of him. But also, like let's 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 be honest, McGinn is still really fucking sloppy on the ball. John McGinn gives the ball away too often, and he's so easy to like. That he gets away with it. He puts in some amount of hard yards and he does do brilliant things with the ball, but he's still sloppy. He's still too sloppy on the ball. And going up, Jad Steer. <laughs> Just be- <laughs> great to see him back. Everybody loves Jad Steer. Everybody has fond memories of Jad Steer. And. To be honest, I don't know what I was expecting. I just thought this boy was going to emerge from a cave <laughs> because I hadn't seen him in so long. I remember when they put out a picture of him recently enough and he had this beard and hair. I was like, Jesus, like, you know, lockdown's been tough on this man. But um, but he still is a secure, reliable self there. Yes, yeah, Jed Steer is Jed Steer is the perfect backup goalkeeper. Yeah, perfect person for a Vyman meter as well. Um, Going down, I only have one really. Uh, Leon Bailey because I put him in my fantasy team <laughs> like when he get fucking majors playing the way he's playing and tracking back to the corner flag this is the thing Conor we don't know if he won't get them nobody knows Dean Smith doesn't even know if he's going to get any majors I'm not even sure if Leon Bailey knows <laughs> alright questions we can't answer but probably will you've probably missed this as well you missed so much when you went the way so <laughs> the worst tweet of all time this is like are we going to ask the question is this the worst tweet of all time but let's be honest it is and it is of course I'm excited to present it to you it's of course from Mr. Oliver Holt (laughs) couldn't be more perfect Mr. Colour Writer Oliver Holt (laughs) are you ready I'm so excited You you wouldn't believe as Ronaldo walked down the tunnel after his match-winning performance, the sound of fat boys... Uh, 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 stop, stop, stop. I don't want to hear this. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> the sound of fat boy Slim 
serenaded him from the loudspeaker system. We've come a long, long way together. (laughs) 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 Through the hard times and the good. I have to celebrate you, baby. I have to praise you like I should. That's the tweet. That's the end of the tweet. <laughs> That's it. That's the tweet. Oh, and it's it got ratioed. It's amazing. Like, you know, with a thousand and twenty-one quote tweets, you know, that's never good. Um and uh, it's just it's spread like wildfire now on, on the internet. He can't tweet anything without people he's on a charity run today, God love him. <laughs> people are tweeting him saying, still trying to get over your Ronaldo tweet, to be honest, mate. <laughs> Oh, it's fucking brilliant. I saw um, Christian Vastraginho, um does the, well, he started the amazing face swaps. He probably did start. I used to work with him from Norway. And uh, he put out a tweet there about poor Harvey Elliott. God love him. Seems to have broken his leg in that Liverpool game. And uh, <laughs> Christian said, as Har- Harvey Elliott got stretched down the tunnel after his... <laughs> His injury. The sound of Fat Boy Slim serenaded him from the Slim. I the rest of it. But, um, oh, amazing. What do you think of that? I think it's absolutely perfect. But I also think we shouldn't forget that we ought to praise Oliver Holt for his <laughs> charity run. <laughs> oh, amazing. Um, second question we can answer When is Dean Smith? going to grow up here and tell Emmy Martin is to grow the fuck up <laughs> is this going to be the way it is now in October and November when there are internationals for Argentina we're going to lose our keeper because we're afraid to disappoint him because he feels like he has some sort of higher calling to go help Messi to a World Cup if Messi's that good he'll get himself to the World Cup <laughs> Messi is that good for the record <laughs> Yeah, this is an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, I'm not particularly comfortable with the Villa pay his wages argument. I mean, I'll make the comparison again. It wouldn't go down well with anyone else, would it? I mean, your boss trying to dictate what you do outside of your job. I know it's not exactly the same argument, but if he wants to play for his country, he wants to play for his country. And think about it the other way. Imagine Imagine if Ireland had a player worth caring about. (laughs) <laughs> and and the Everton manager or whoever wouldn't release him. I get that. I can't imagine that going down too well with me or with you. Well, it's it's not so much. I suppose it, yeah, it was it's still all linked. Yeah, the COVID stuff is what's fucking this over. Like you're going to going from England to these countries, they have to quarantine when they come back. But uh, like, I guess it's because every other team apart from Spurs, who I assume will definitely have sobered up now come around the next internationals but they've all just told their players nah you're, you're not going like you, you play for us and Villa were being sound it seemed that way like you know they were only going to miss one game for Villa because the agreement was they wouldn't play the last international game against Bolivia it would have been for the September internationals before they got chucked out anyway but um yeah so that, that seemed like a fair agreement miss a Chelsea match and come back and miss a Bolivia match you know, so everybody sort of wins. But then when they get out there, the Argentina manager straight away was saying, no, they're here for the full camp. You know, so you're going to have, you're going to have that element in it as well. And I don't know, I, I would just like to sort of take my, take my marker from the rest of the league if everybody else is saying, like, you're not going, you have to quarantine for 12 days or whatever it is. And, and like, should we not just be doing the same thing? Like, especially for Emmy Buendia, who's going out there to sit in the stands and watch the fucking match. <laughs> <laughs> our new signing our record our record signing is missing a game to go and sit and watch Emmy Martinez play a match in uh, our, in Brazil I'm definitely more concerned about Emmy Martinez being out there but <laughs> I, I take the point if he's not playing I think that makes it more difficult for him as well because he's trying to break into the team yeah. I don't think there's any way Martinez wouldn't be playing for Argentina if he doesn't go out to these games but taking Come on, like taking the lead from because other people are doing it, that's a terrible, a terrible way to race and through something. Do you yeah. think it's do you think it's worthwhile just because somebody else says it isn't doesn't mean that that's necessarily true? I mean you could just say that those other clubs are being incredibly selfish and demanding on the yeah. players. Like yeah, Villa pays way, just so I'm obviously compromised. I obviously would prefer if he didn't go. 
yeah, you prefer if you didn't want to go. Just like, I want them to not want to go. Um, yeah, like, it, it, it's a tough one as well because he's obviously just broken into the international team, and Villa have helped him do that in more ways than one now. Obviously, so you know, and everybody loves Emmy Martinez. He loves Villa, and now he loves Argentina, and he loves Messi. And the Bundia one's a tough one because he's trying to make his debut for Argentina, and he would have if he didn't get chucked chucked away from the camp. But um, ah, like it's just a, it's just like I suppose again, you lose three 0 you're going to be more annoyed at these things. Yeah, they're a pair of absolute dickheads. Now that you've reminded me, they've lost three 0 <laughs> When are Sky going to come back from transfer wonderland and join the rest of the world in real life? These boys need to cop on now. Like it, it, it happened, you know, after the after the Chelsea game. Like Graham Souness is praising John McGinn, and if he keeps this up, there's going, you know, he didn't say this, but basically, there'd be a real club interested for him. Like, you know, that's, <laughs> that's the way he's going. I think he said big club, and and, and even like uh, Dave Jones, you know, who we've talked about being a good presenter before, but he's there after like Liverpool you know, win their third game out of four, they've drawn with Chelsea, and he says, "Are Liverpool title contenders again?" Like. And I just, I thought this is because Lukaku was signed for 100 million by Chelsea. Greenish was signed for 100 million by Man City. United have signed Ronaldo. It was like, well, who have Liverpool signed? And Sky Sports just get wrapped up in this idea that everybody needs to be signing somebody. And in their world, everything is relative to the transfer window. Like It's like that's the main event. And then we just play this football to talk about the transfer window. Yeah, and it's, it's incredible as well. <laughs> this event to talk about the transfer. It's it is incredible that they were writing off uh, that people were writing off Liverpool because the, that was the best thing coming into the season. That there's there's potentially four people who would actually it never works out like this. But again, there was four teams who could potentially and should be based on the money they've spent, based on the players or the managers that they have. That they should be challenging for the title, so it was bizarre that they were so willing and so eager to write them off. Uh, it, it is really, really frustrating. I didn't obviously see Sunez speaking about the Villa game. I just watched the ninety minutes straight through in a pit of depression, and then turned it off. Um, that's 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 an annoying thing to hear. All right, but. The other, the other thing that's annoying about that is that this is just playing all back into the thing that I know Graham Sooners has seen him play for Scotland before, but it's like, how often has he seen him play for Villa? Because he hasn't been that bloody good. Yeah. And I mean, if Liverpool came in and I offered 50 million for McGinn, people were talking about, I'd take it. I think we can do better than John McGinn. It's, again, I don't want to him John McGinn. John McGinn's a, a lovable player who. We're doing it, boys, as well. We're falling into the transfer trap. <laughs> <laughs> we've played four games it's not enough now we're talking about how he spent 50 million on John McGinn that hasn't happened <laughs> oh god you're right <laughs> um, and just, just to wrap up you missed the Erling game as well and you missed you missed Gavin Bazzuni's performance against Serbia and you missed oh you missed Andrew Omobamidele's performance who is now starting for Norwich but off the back of playing amazingly for Ireland so that, that's annoying um, Daniel Fark didn't realize he had a player like that until he saw highlights from from the Ireland game, probably. But this guy is a superstar, and I just thought I saw Bazunu's at it again now this week, and it all it always comes back in my world to see everything's relative to Arsenal. <laughs> and if you thought it wasn't funny enough that they sold Emmy Martinez anyway and sold him for twenty million um, to keep Bert Leno. To then spend more money on Aaron Ramsdale, the Portsmouth keeper is also better than any options that they have. Like Gavin Bazunu is miles ahead of anybody Arsenal could hope to have, and it's just great that Ireland are going to enjoy him for the next twenty years. <laughs> he has had an incredible start to his Ireland career. I think you've been a bit harsh on Daniel Fark there, who who played played on <laughs> Delhi. Ten times last season as well, and that's actually how you get into the Ireland squad. But um, yeah, they're they're both really exciting players, and that's the very very little things they get excited about in the Ireland setup. They're definitely two of them. I don't mind talking about Ireland. I just wanted to have a wee laugh at Arsenal before we finished off. It's always a good way to end any football conversation. Yeah. So welcome home. It's just like you've never been away. And uh, we'll see. I don't even know when the next game is. Is it Chelsea? Is it is it another Chelsea match in the League Cup? 
You can hear me typing frantically here now. I should have figured this out before I tried to wrap up the show. It's Everton on Saturday, 5.30, and then it's Chelsea on Wednesday. It's 7.45, the Wednesday after. So we've got a home game coming up next, Hack Villa Park. We've got McGinn, Super John McGinn, for now, until a big club comes in and takes him. Anyway, see you later. All the best. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.